Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. Hey, I'm Ridney, presenter of Secrets of a Dance here. I've been a producer for 20 years, a DJ for 23 years, Cafe Mambo Ibiza resident and three times winner of the prestigious Essential New Tune Award on Pete Tong's BBC Radio 1 Essential Selection. I've had music on labels including Defected, Tool Room, Ministry of Sound, Nervous, Size, Spinning to name but a few. And what is Secrets of a Dance here? I'm having a look and a listen to some of my favourite records from my favourite producers. Records that have been underground bangers which have gone on to be huge global hits. Join me as I lift the lid on sample clearance, how records were put together and what producers thought of these records. Join me for Secrets of a Dance here. Welcome, welcome, another episode of Secrets of a Dance Hit. This week, talking about what happens when Barry White gets sampled in a massive house record. That's right, I'm talking to Ciro Sasso of Black Legend to discuss You See the Trouble With Me. We had a massive conversation, a massive one. It went on for ages. So this was actually the first interview I did on this series, and it's been spliced down to 30 minutes. So enjoy the story of You See the Trouble With Me. Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. I have so much I want to ask about this record. It's really given me lots to think about over the years. Black Legend, You See the Trouble With Me, and I'm joined on the line by Mr. Black Legend himself. Ciro, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you? Yeah, really good. Now, I need to tell you a quick story. In about 1999, a very good friend of mine, Steve, who's sadly not not with us anymore, presented this import record from Italy called You See the Trouble With Me. And he kept saying, it's so good, it's got this live Barry White sample in it, of which we went, what? Couldn't get our head round it until we went to a club. And it went on to do amazing things. I mean, number one in the UK, number seven, I believe, in the US, number six in Ireland, top 20 in seven countries. <laughs> that happened that two years before 1999 actually let's say business wasn't doing that great for me and uh, together with a friend of mine we started making uh, these white labels you know this kind of uh, bootlegs and this friend of mine that we used to do these things together he played me the um, the track um, concert out of um, a VHS tape okay and actually the, the the track it was used was actually the dump of the VHS no way yeah that- that's awesome. <laughs> That's why the sound quality is so good. <laughs> but um, what happened is he played me the, the strike on the phone and he already did like the usual format we used to have at uh, the time making these kind of bootlegs. Just like having the, the full track, making an edit and adding a beat. So it was basically, let's say, the original track with a beat. And uh, when I heard it and, um, and it got to actually the break, because in the, in the concert there's a live break where all the, it just like vocals and um, drums and it gets like a kind of dub version. 
question, you know, in the point. So it really got my attention. And uh, since it was about 10 years that I used to go around with an S50 sample diskette containing samples of a House of God, the first track I played and the first rave I ever played. And, um, you know, I've spent like 10 years trying to make this sample fit somewhere. Long story short, what happened is uh, we went out for dinner. On the way back from dinner, after a couple of bottles of wine, <laughs> I, I told myself, and I was like, no, it's going to be like creativity, fun. Yes. And if it, nothing is going to come out, I mean, I spent like one night having fun. That's what I did. The deck master of the track was uh, was recorded at 7 o'clock in the morning, seven hours after. Wow. It comes up often in conversations I have with producers that the best music or the, the kind of hit comes out in a few hours. It's not long process. I've yet to meet someone who's gone, yeah, I worked on it for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's usually, I had an idea, I went with it, and that was that was the yeah, hit. So just like the pure magic that you, you feel it. You know, yeah, you yeah. Feel. Absolutely, gone. absolutely. And actually, what what's happening to me right now, after like almost thirty years of producing music, is that when uh, something doesn't get on the right way uh, in one or two days of work, I dump it. Okay, so it's helped your workflow, as in, I know yeah. this is going to work or it's not going to work. Yeah, it's, there's no, I mean, there's no point to to spend you no know, weeks on something. Uh, which is not going to work anyway. Just going to learn how not to waste time. You know? yeah, yeah. The there was no Ableton to make this sampling easy. I mean, how did you go about making the record? Okay, first of all, I've always been, actually, my, my studies um, were into electronics. I started working with digital audio, so hard disk recording uh, with Session 8 from DigiDesign. And uh, actually, when I did this one, you see the trouble with me, I just started working with Cubase. It was like the first ever version of Cubase managing uh, digital audio. You know, it had like, if I remember, four tracks of um, 16 bits audio. Wow, four tracks. Yeah, four tracks. Nice. Was the first one to have VST technology. Was VST 32. That was the version. Okay. To actually slice the entire recording. Yeah. Each kick, it was one sample. And replaying it back, you know, like on a sequence and making it like sections and uh, dumping it. And uh, when Cubase came, everything was just like the same way, the same workflow. It was just quicker because you can just slice it on the screen by uh, a, a scissor tool, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but that, that was the, the, the kind of job to, to do. It was let's cut, slice the entire track, four minutes, five minutes, kick by kick. Yeah. Usually having the tempo lower it a little bit so you, then you could drag the kick back and recuperate uh, possible uh, drops, possible holes, you know? Yeah. So a lot of a lot of time chopping and editing to get that all correct. Well, I got the, at the end, I got so quick doing it. You know, I got so used yeah, to. Yeah, you it. got it down to a fine art. So you put that together. I mean, it came together what seven hours, and the version that was at the end of the seven hours is the original bootleg mix that people know, right? The one with the original Barry White vocals. So from there, what was that? You guys went out and did white labels yourself, or how did how did it get to the point where? time picked it up and it first started to get known by people a couple of months before actually it, it literally blew out 
I mean, we did the usual. I mean, pressed some white labels. Yeah. And uh, started like shopping them around, uh, carrying like loading car and uh, taking them to the first of all to the Italian shops. Yeah. And uh, what happened is like after the first week, copies were not enough. And they asked for more and then for more and then for more. <laughs> so how many did you do to begin with? For what? 250, 500? Well, no. That time we were already going for 1,000. Oh, wow. The 1,000 went super quick, right? And everyone's knocking on the door going... Two months, actually. I believe we were already around 30,000. You're joking! So this is before time. <laughs> By the time time signed it, thing got around forty-five thousand. Wow! Like it's in the meantime because then we we actually shipped a good part of these records to England. It happened that Pete Tong actually bought this record, and uh, what happened that he played it on the radio. Yeah. And and when it's, it really blew up. Okay, so that was the moment where you guys went, okay, this is a huge white label, but now it's gone crazy. We had signs in the beginning because the time when we, we brought the debt to the, the pressing plant, the guy at the pressing plant was like, hey, you guys, this time you have it. And I was still not really believing it. You know when you, when you feel like you did something too strange? <laughs> yeah, but that isn't, like going back to the beginning of the conversation, isn't that the thing yeah. that is so awesome about it? I know for me, when someone tried to explain the record to me, I was like, what? And then when you hear it, you'll go, okay. That's what happened. I mean, I, I told you before, uh, for, for one night, I wanted to not, not to respect any rule, not to follow any, any kind of particular sound. And, yeah. uh, but then the day after, you back, you back at that. No, it just like, it, you think you went too far. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> Actually, when uh, at seven o'clock in the morning, I went to play the, 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 the master back to have like a, the last listen. Yeah. I was kind of, uh, it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, it's, it's just like something is too weird. <laughs> then they all started looking for the the responsible of the of this bootleg. Yeah, that's how time got got to to contact me. Yeah, and there was a few of them actually chasing, you know, and trying to understand who was the the producer of this thing. Okay. The, the luckiest one was uh, Alex Gaudino. He had the feeling, and he actually knew it was me because of the House of God sample. <laughs> so he had this uh, so he had a sneaky feeling. Actually, the record was already in time record because some um, third-party A&Rs brought the, 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 the bootleg to Giacomo, the, the owner of Time Records. Okay. So they, they kind of knew it was flowing around. Yeah, they, they knew about. They were all looking for the for me actually. <laughs> <laughs> you are you're on everyone's so, hit list. I, I have to admit, I was kind of scared in a way because you know it was a we can say it was something illegal. It was a bootleg, and we're making money with a bootleg. So I sure, can tell you. sure, I get that. Yeah. So as long as I, I I could actually keep hiding, it was a, it was a good thing to me. So he made an offer for the record. That's why when you asked me if uh, anybody from the Barry White team uh, came to claim anything, is because actually the only, I think, good smart thing uh, I did when we were dealing about the record, about the contract, um, I asked Time Records to actually take care about all the clearance. And was that difficult or was it simple it, it, or...? It was because actually the property of the record, it was split. I mean, you know that that's the, the, the master rights and yeah. the publishing, publishing rights. Yeah. 
in two different hands, actually. Okay. Master was um, owned by Universal and the publishing from uh, Warner Chappell. So what happened is that Universal denied any use of the Masters. And uh, on the other side, Warner uh, authorized the use of the... The publishing of the, side. Of the publishing side uh, in exchange of 100%. Okay. Which, which is pretty standard on these things, isn't it? To me, it was a bit too much, but it was the price to... It was too much because at the end, there was like a, uh, all the part from House of God as well. It yeah. wasn't uh, very wide. Uh, 70% of the track, uh, it wasn't play any, playing any very wide uh, music. So at that point then, it was a case of working to get a replay in order to release it officially. Yeah, that's when, uh, let's say, the hard part came. Because uh, at that time, this kind of studios that are now available everywhere where they recreate samples. Sure, sure. And uh, what happened is uh, I had to, to replay, to re-record everything myself. Looking for a sound alike, a very wide sound alike as well. It took like two months of work, crazy work, uh, big investments as well. Sure. Thing is, it's so interesting to hear a story behind a record. You know, for me, it's a 19-year-old, you know, kid who's aspiring to be a DJ going to his local record shop and buying a copy of this. By, by the time I tried to get a copy of your record, it was the replayed version on time. All the original versions that my friend had played, which were the bootleg versions, man, they were sold out and no one could get a copy at all. So I'm chasing, chasing, chasing. Actually, once in a while, I keep, I keep looking on uh, Discogs on, you know, on uh, online shops. All they have is the, the replayed version. Oh, really? No, bootleg, no bootlegs about? It's now, yeah. You know, if you go to eBay or Discogs, the original bootleg version must be worth a serious amount of money, isn't it? Honestly, maybe I just didn't look enough, but I, could, I couldn't find it any on uh, the web, so I can't tell you uh, how much they, they priced. You know? So they're quite rare now these days? I believe so, yes. Wow. It's obviously becoming a hit. Pete's played it on the radio in the UK. I'm guessing that the UK was the first country for it to blow up, or was it happening on in? Well, hold on, step back. It must have been Italy first, right? That it was blowing up. Yes, of course. We started in Italy with um, two or three like of the main record shops, but these record shops used to serve all the Italian and underground DJs. Yeah, it's funny because in the beginning, actually. The, the way it was felt by DJs in Italy was as an underground track. Which it is, I guess. I mean, in the beginning it was. I mean, you know, it was like a techno beat with... Uh, so it, it wasn't something for the radio at the beginning. No, no, and, no, and the other thing I was going to say to you, which I find really interesting with your record, is how many people have kind of sampled your, your drum loop. You know, the, the, the main loop in the track... I've heard it in so many other records where people have tried to create what you're, you're kind of driving breaks. So it has got an underground flavor, even though the breakdown is, you know, it's a big sample. I mean, I don't care about all these people who sample it because actually the entire track is, uh, the bootleg, is, it was one big sample. Sure, yeah. Even the beat, if I tell you, okay. You're not going to get yourself into trouble here, are you? No, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about if, uh, if I have to behave and uh, keep my mouth shut or 
you know what? It's, it's 20 so here's years the now. thing. You can say so, there's other stuff there, but I'm not going to tell you what beat, it is. Actually, the entire beat is um is made by layers of um, other records, samples. Okay. And we'll leave it there, shall we? Well, I can tell you what it is. And, uh, Musti, Musti is, uh, you know, knew about it. If you know. So the beat is actually parts of... Um, uh, uh, Musti remix. Okay, it's totally okay because he knows about it. Come on, if you listen to the record that you do produce, it's the obvious, record, right? It's obvious. Know. Yeah, we, we, okay. we actually got to talk about it sometime. Every, you know? Everybody has references. As long as he's just sampling a beat or drum sounds out of another beat because that's what I, what, what I did actually yeah. I didn't sample the entire loop I, I sampled the kick and the snare and the, the hat you know yeah. anyway it's layered on um, on the very wide beat and then together they make this uh, this beat and with House of God on top it makes the the, 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 the whole thing you know yeah so the thing is I, I really in a way don't care when they sample me actually I feel it like a tribute yeah like I did it we house producers you know um, lately because I've never been into the hip hop uh, uh, kind of production but uh, I was told by hip hop uh, producers that one of the rules one of the ethic rules is never sample not even a kick on a head from another uh, another track another producer work you know yeah so which is really doesn't belong to to house music producers yeah, <laughs> you know, it's to us. It's really normal to get other people records and get the kick, and and I feel I keep doing it honestly. And by the end, I mean, you get the the the, the, the finished product. It doesn't even sound like that because it's being processed and stuff. So it's just like a, they now call it a resampling. Yeah, you know, so it's a, it's a natural thing. It's always been going on for for decades now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's normal. If they sample it, I just go say, okay, it's, they recognize my work. You know, it was a good one if they sample. Nineteen, twenty years down the line, are you proud of you see the trouble with me? Of course, I am. I mean, it was a, actually if it was uh, between me and you, if it was like a very commercial song sounding close to the something like what it was around in the era yeah. I mean it was like yeah okay it's a commercial song it worked. The, the fact that actually set that in point for a new way of uh, a new wave of house music and you know? That, that makes me proud. Absolutely. And, I mean, is it still a record you play out? Do you listen back to it and go, I'm really happy with how it sounds? Or do you go, oh... Well, no, it sounds, no, honestly. It was actually... There was two main uh, problems for making it sound well, you know... First, it was, uh, it was all taken from a VHS. Yeah, you uh, said it, at the start. Yeah, that's right. So there was not really the the, the foundation to make a, like a good sounding record. Yeah. And um, mastering uh, studios that were not popular for house music as they are now. So honestly, nobody ever mastered the, the record. Yeah, as you said, it was your bootleg mix that you did after seven hours. That that's the I version. And the replayed version. Uh, just to stick with the sound of the, the of the bootleg, mm. actually it didn't change much. Most of the instrumental parts that were just made by editing the, the the original bootleg. Yeah, I mean the final sound it could be a bit better just into the the vocals 
for the rest, it's actually the the, the commercial releases are like the music. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? I'll I'll say to the listeners, Mr. Black Legend was very kind recently to give me a remastered version of the original bootleg which I thank you for. But I realized listening to that that I'd got so used to the replayed version that I'd forgotten the original. That's nuts, isn't it? But now, uh, I, play the, now I play your remastered bootleg again. Which I did for since day one. Wow. Honestly, I never played the... <laughs> I never played the replay one. I can't yeah. stand it. But you, re you realise that it appeared on so many different formats and was heard, especially for myself being in the UK, heard so much on radio at the time, the replay version, that your brain kind of gets swapped, you know, for, the, for a different yeah, version. It keeps happening to me, you know, in the day-by-day -day story work. When uh, usually, usually, sometimes it happens that you start like a new track, a new idea, using samples, then you have to go back and replay it. By the time you, you replay it, you still have it, the original, where you started from so so deep in your brain that you just like you cannot change the the, the feeling you have for it. Yeah. Here's a question if you don't mind me asking, and this has only come from my own personal experience, but when you did the replay, did you feel that there was vibe lost in the track by putting in the replay? I learned the stuff. There was no way to replay like the, the way it was. It was a live recording on the yeah. in a live arena. It was like a big theater, something like that. It was like a a panoramic microphone there's no way you can get the sound yeah yeah and uh, they went to universal went to the frequency analysis um, yeah musicologist dudes no they did like the, the frequency analysis oh, okay. see if they they meshed you know yeah things like that and it took me it took me like two more weeks of work night and day just to fix that you know the biggest satisfaction in the end of the record the less thank you let's say the original bootleg seven hours yeah replay how many hours did it take I'm telling you about two months every day working. I appreciate you saying that because I think that's really interesting with people who are producing records and sampling records and having to do replays to show you the sheer amount of work from that original vibe that you had that you hit in seven hours which is you know the essence it's the hit the work that had to happen after that to allow it to be a commercial record I think is that's a really interesting what you've said there listen uh, I can summarize all the the picture from a producer point of view now I think sometimes you, you need to to actually are you saying English to recognize to recognize yourself I mean yeah self-recognition you know yeah yeah uh, from the point of view of a 30 years now uh, house music producer yeah a true producer to me has to split is is job in in two halves. That's like the creative the creative part, so that it makes you like the artist. Technical part is just the actual production. The two things actually they they almost never overlap. It's just like uh, I think that you get enough producing skills when you get to understand when you have to be an artist and when you have to be a technician. Yeah. And you have like a session for being an artist and 10 sessions to be a technician. And usually it's just like a one to 20, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the time it takes, but 
But that, that's the point, and that's what happened. I mean, to to have a great idea, it takes five minutes, and to make it real, it can take two months. Yeah, yeah. In total, you know how many copies you've sold, if you've got gold discs? Is your yeah, front room covered in, in lovely discs? <laughs> no, in total, I can't tell you exactly, because so many licenses sold around and uh, uh, you know if you've been like making records you know the statements then uh, stuff get lost okay. and uh, somebody didn't pay it we didn't have the, the whatever right so always how you say in English like uh, steps you know yeah yeah between you and the actually the, the actual uh, label selling the record but anyway that leads anyway to one goal one silver one silver in the UK that was supposed to be gold but Eternal went out of business before actually oh. gave me one <laughs> uh, how annoying I know but it didn't happen uh, two gold and yeah. three platinum wow so where's the, so are they all from the same territory or silver's gold, UK but Gold and Platinum Italy. Yeah. Gold in Benelux. Platinum Scandinavia. Uh, if you give me like two more minutes, I'll tell you what happened after. I'll, 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 I'll give you as long as you need. It was supposed to happen. It happened that I was pulled by my hair. In the meantime, I got bald anyway. Okay. <laughs> And, you know, I was put by head in, uh, into the, the, the pop world. They all wanted from me hits. Oh, you know, okay. Right, so the door was knocking and everyone went, want to hit. So working on the pop stuff that I, I didn't feel it, actually. It was well paid. I did some big, huge remixes. Yeah. Went number one again in, in England with some block. You don't know if you remember that. Yeah. I did, like, I've been working a lot for majors. Yeah. And, uh, but then I found myself doing like, <laughs> you know, totally something different. The, 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 what, what it was my my background, you know. Yeah. So like four years ago, five years ago, I just gave up about everything, and I was like, I'm a house head, and I'm back and making house. Yeah. Since then, uh, well, I, I bought myself a machine, so I could play again like I was on an MPC on SP twelve hundred. Yeah. And I uh, started making my house beats and having fun that way. And that led finally to being released on the Defective Records. Yeah. Wait, when yeah. was that? 2018, 2017? 17, yes. Cool. As I've seen, lots of um, recent productions as well. Lots of uh, new stuff coming out. You've been out DJing lots still as well? Actually, something that I didn't match when, uh, when it was the, the time of using the trouble. Really? <laughs> no, you didn't DJ so much? No, actually, let's say that you see the trouble set the beginning of the uh, rockstar DJs, you know? Yeah. The, the rockstar DJs era. I, I think Black Legend and Spiller were the two projects that actually lead to to um, a market for, uh, for like, uh, touring DJs. But at that time... In the, there was no internet support and uh, so it didn't just didn't happen it was too early yeah I believe the first one to take an advantage of a, of a big hit and start play, playing a lot around it was uh, Benny Benassi it's important to remember where we were with the internet and everything in 1999 2000 2001 it was still early days wasn't it it's not you know it's yeah. easy to think today oh you could reach out email someone Facebook blah, blah, blah. it, it was wasn't as easy to connect was it and, and get those tours and shows not even uh, MySpace MySpace came sure late. yeah 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 and let me tell you in the very raw stage I lost my first tour in Australia 
because an email. Really? The email was so crowded with replies and all this that by the end, I mean, I found out that in, in the bottom of the, of the email, there was a request for myself to play there. I, I got it like 20 days after. How annoying. Yeah. A lot of phone calls and fax messages. and uh, you know. It's been absolutely amazing to talk to you and, and just find out the history on You See the Trouble With Me. If people want to go find you on the internet, see what you're doing now, how do they find you? Starting point can be my Facebook page, Black Legend Project. Okay, Black Legend Project. Since I started doing this uh, house thing, you know, a few years back, I uh, started to use like Black Legend for the main projects and the Black Legend Projects for the more tricky ones. Yeah. And what about SoundCloud or Twitter? Anything SoundCloud, else? The same Black Legend Project. Cool. Instagram is Black Legend Live, same as for Twitter. For my radio show uh, on uh, Mixcloud, on there I'm Black Legend Project as well. There you go. You have no excuses but to go and find Mr. Black Legend. Thank you very, very much for your time and joining me on this podcast. And we'll do it again soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, Paul. Secrets of a dance hit with Ridley. Huge thanks again there to Ciro, a.k.a. Black Legend. Don't forget to subscribe. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been leaving brilliant reviews on iTunes. Remember, all of those reviews really, really help. So please let us know what you think of the show. Any suggestions, of course, for guests. Uh, paul at ridney.com. You can get hold of me. Uh, Secrets of a Dance here has been presented by myself, Ridney. It's been produced by Carl Hannigan. Huge thanks as well to Ben Glover for helping get this one down to about 30 minutes as well. Uh, I will be back in two weeks with another show. Till then, see ya.